They shall be my finest warriors, these men who give themselves to me for an indefinite tour of duty. Like clay I shall mould them, and in the furnace of war forge them. They will be of iron will and steely muscle, able to poop after six weeks eating rations. In great armour shall I clad them, and with the mightiest guns will they be armed, but still too soft to withstand the birth of an A-10 warthog. They will be untouched by plague or disease. No sickness will blight them except for protein farts after chow time. They will have tactics, strategies and machines so that no foe can best them in battle. But all their drones have to be the skulls of dead dudes. They are my bulwark against the terror. They are the defenders of humanity. They are my space marines and they shall know no fear. Except facing down 50 decaffeinated jarheads. Hey, welcome to another episode of Grimdark Battle Station, the show that takes sci-fi too seriously and is still constipated from our last MRE. This week we're going to compare some of the baddest marines from our world with some of the baddest marines from the world of Warhammer 40k. It's the United States Marine Corps versus the Adeptus Astartes. The real marines versus the space marines. Now if you're a regular listener or a 40k fan, You'll know it has a relatively unique lore ecosystem. The characters might be well-established sci-fi tropes, but 40k is pretty unique for a franchise its size where, like Transformers, the lore is used as a vehicle to sell toys and miniatures. Effectively, all the books, games, and media series are a way for Games Workshop, the creators of Warhammer, to sell plastic miniatures of the characters in the setting. This has been tremendously successful, and it's created a multi-billion dollar company, but it's also created a sort of floatiness around lore, as sometimes it's subservient to the release schedule or the particular Gary Sue of the day. The OG poster boys for the entire franchise are the Adeptus Astartes, also known as the Space Marines, and they range from easily killed nameless soldiers to nigh-invincible characters that throat-punch demons for fun. So, as with all 40k episodes, we have to be careful about the um actually factor. There's a lot of lore and a lot of contradictions. House rules of picking the most realistic choice and the broad strokes caveats apply. All we need to know for now is that the Space Marines are 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger in tank armor. And for the sake of sanity, only the USMC will be referred to as Marines in this episode, and the Space Marines will just referred to as the Adeptus Astartes or the Astartes. They are super soldiers designed to crush humanity's enemies in the 42nd millennium. The best armor, weapons, training and logistics, they travel the entire galaxy killing demons, aliens and their heretical brothers alike. They fight like religious fanatics and hang out in an all-male environment oiling each other up in a totally heteronormative way. They are incredibly rare, incredibly powerful, and they carve their own path throughout the universe. They are the ultimate Sigma males. And they will be facing off against a thing that actually exists and doesn't really have any lore per se. The United States Marine Corps is one of the premier marine fighting forces in the world, and if memory serves, is also one of the premier air forces in the world as well. Luckily for their odds of survival in this episode, 
they also happen to be undergoing a modernization of their squad structures. So to the best of my ability, I'm going to treat the USMC as the Marines of 2023 and not the Marines of today or last year. There are a lot of unknowns about how exactly these guys and gals will look within the next few years, but a very solid concept exists. It's likely the blueprint for how the rest of the world will develop over the next decade, and it's really cool stuff. But before we take a look at the M27s and the comfy boots, let's agree on the battlefield. There are two rules of play on this battlefield. Rule number one, it must be as neutral as possible, with nobody getting their home field advantage. And rule number two, both parties are equally informed. They know the general makeup and tactics of their opponent. And when we say as neutral as possible, what we mean is no overarching advantage in terrain and and no making the fight favour a particular type of warfare, aside from a straight-up slugfest. So, for example, two really fast groups could fight in a forest because they won't have any advantage, and two light infantry groups like Gaunt's Ghosts from Warhammer 40k and the Royal Gurkha Rifles from the British Army could fight in rocky terrain. A heavy siege unit is not going to get to attack a fort held by cavalry, and the Xenomorph from Aliens is not going to fight in a dark ship when the other guys don't have any night vision or motion sensors. When we say equally informed, we have to recognise that sometimes there are going to be real-life equivalents and sometimes there aren't. It's all well and good to put a Tyranid or a Xenomorph against a mobile infantry from Starship Troopers because both understand each other at the basic level. It's a different thing to make the bugs from Starship Troopers fight an orc, or in this case, make an Astartes fight a US Marine. The Astartes has fought humans with every type of weapon the USMC has. It knows what they look like, it has predetermined plans and experience to count on. The Grunts, on the other hand, have never fought a human-shaped tank that can run somewhere between 35 to 45 miles per hour. So in the interest of fairness, you have to let the marines know that their enemy is twice the size of a human, made of tank armour, and runs at the speed of a charging grizzly bear. Also, he's as fanatical as an ISIS suicide bomber. And he spits poison. We also have to make that 45 mile per hour running speed a little slower on average, because on a flat plane the Astartes would close from the outer range of a recoilless rifle to within headbutting range in under a minute. So we're going to flip it completely sideways. The marines are defending a beach. The Astartes is coming from the sea. They will all have several minutes until he can punt them into the stratosphere. But the Astartes starts the battle running in waist-high water. So everybody will get a few shots in, a few punches in, but nobody's going to have a ridiculous advantage to just, for example, drop in amongst their marines and rip them to pieces with their bare hands. To begin with, let's have a look at these top-tier human soldiers and how they'll line up when they aren't filming TikToks or buying a brand new Dodge Charger five minutes after payday. The modern marine squad has 15 men split into three fire teams and a three-man leadership team. In basic terms, it's going to come to the battlefield in 2023 with the following kit. A leader and assistant leader with a systems operator running drones and an electronic warfare kit, 
14 Marines with M27 infantry automatic rifles. These are select fire rifles that are replacing the M4 and the M16. So if you've ever seen an M4 in any movie or video game, it's basically that, but with a pretty decent marksman scope on them. Three will have cute little grenade launchers in addition to their M27s that can be used separately or attached to a rifle. One will have a designated marksman rifle, which is basically just an M27 with a slightly different scope. One will have an M3E1, which is a multi-purpose anti-armor, anti-personnel weapon system, or, you know, just a rocket launcher. They could also theoretically have a belt-fed squad machine gun, but that's not standard. Key takeaway is that they've got some grenades, a rocket, and a shitload of automatic firearms with really good scopes. Probably with ranges up to the 800 to 900 meters range. For those of you who love Warhammer 40k, this means that they've got 14 auto guns with 8x zooms, 3 frag grenade launchers with 350 meter ranges, having both frag, crack and non-lethal grenades, one missile launcher with an 800 meter range with both frag and crack missiles, and one auto gun with an extra big scope. And I realise on a wargaming table that these guys would probably die within about 45 seconds to a minute, but this is not a wargaming table, this is something much more scientific. The insane ramblings of a stranger on the internet. Finally, we would like to be kind to the marines and attach a platoon level medic. But if you've ever read Warhammer, you know that win or lose, this won't be a fight with any survivable injuries. We're also not going to throw in any of the particularly awesome things the US military seems to be looking into adding to their ground troops, save for the fact that their rocket launcher is also capable of having a loitering munition, broadly similar to those Iranian suicide drones we see so much of in Ukraine at present. Tactically, marine infantry by their nature are designed to be tough and flexible. The US Marines definitely cultivate that image through their training programs, their propaganda, and their real-world actions. Any Marine by design is meant first and foremost to have more get-up-and-go than the average soldier. Assaulting any objective from the ocean is no small feat. Fighting with nothing to retreat into is an incredibly stressful position, and it is the Marine's idea of a normal Tuesday afternoon. They have to be able to hold a line with minimal heavy support. This means having good equipment, but also good discipline and doctrine. They may have never fought in Astartes before, but they are familiar with most aspects of their foe in the abstract. They know how fast light infantry or a person on an ATV can move. They know about ceramic tank armor. They know about sensors and night vision. They know about grenades and recoilless rifles and so on and so forth. Now, Normally these things aren't all attached to an 8 foot tall human, but you get the idea. They will have a tactical concept of how to beat every single one of these in isolation. And even if you accept that this is very confusing when all jumbled together, they'll still have something to work with. The very precise tactic known as shoot the shit out of it. If the marines didn't know what an Astartes was, they would definitely set up incorrectly. They would probably try to absorb the attack and then flank him or use anti-personnel mines or just rely first on their DMR designated marksman rifles 
realising too late that the thing moved as fast as a grizzly bear or a greyhound. But that would be as unfair as letting them dig into a mountainside with two weeks prep time. So, shooting the shit out of it seems like a solid plan that, in general, will be a natural marine reaction to an issue. Deploying all the resources in a grouped manner would obviously be suicidal, so the rifleman will be a first line with the grenaders and the M3E1 launchers staggered a bit behind. The tech officers with their drones will probably be hiding somewhere even further back, directing fire or feeding info back on the enemy's movements in the about 90 seconds they have to do that before they're exploded. The idea is that the enemy might be able to snipe out some of your specialists, but, but if it goes for all of them, you'd have enough time to dump three clips at him. Now he's speedy and tough and can dodge a lot, but if you have three squads with you, that could be over 1,000 rounds of 5.56 ammunition. You can add to that another 1,000 pieces of shrapnel from grenades and high-explosive rockets too. How many of them will hit, and how many need to hit to kill the enemy? I have no idea. What I do know is it official that Astartes have been killed by small squads firing las guns and even the occasional pointy stick or bone-clutching religious fanatic. The marines know that if they slow this guy down, they will win. They only have to render one leg inoperable or one shoulder joint shrapnel filled to give themselves a really good chance. And there are two other things they know for sure. They cannot have a fighting retreat, and this enemy is the epitome of evil in their eyes. It would think nothing of killing their entire families, wives, children, etc. It does hate freedom, and it does want to destroy the United States. It might as well be Ayatollah Putin Jong-il inside that armour. So, the tactic will be simple. Shoot the shit out of it, try to slow it down, and target any weakness that presents itself. If it staggers to one knee, aim all fire at the head. Let off grenades and rockets. If it gets close, try to bayonet the joints in its armour or any exposed flesh and pray to God. You would be in with a fighting chance provided enough of your marine brothers are laying down accurate fire instead of fighting the urge to run away. Why are they running away? Well, they are facing a transhuman angel of death. But it's not just your normal transhuman angel of death. This one, the one fighting USMC's finest, is a relatively newer breed. The Primaris Intercessor is the new gold standard of Adeptus Astartes. It is stronger, faster, and better equipped than its forebears, and primed to kick ass in the current chaos that is the 40k universe in 2022. Another subject for another 45 separate episodes. Designed by the Doc Brown of the Imperium, Belisarius Call, the Primaris Intercessor is a next-generation tactical squad much like today's Marine. The difference is that their guns fire mass-reactive shells called bolts that have the explosive power of a grenade and also wait until they're inside your tummy before they go boom. A Primaris squad of 10 Marines can have support weapons including flamethrowers and plasma guns, and its normal infantry can take more rapid fire or more snipery variants alongside different types of shell. But the normal Astartes is taking a bolt rifle, which is still a rocket gun with a ridiculous range. So facing the US Marines is a single Primaris Intercessor. He is 8.5 feet tall, 
Uh, he probably weighs about 300 pounds without his armor. He has two hearts, sinews made of steel, bones made of ceramic, an internal jumper cable, auto-scarring of wounds, eats thoughts, has internal gas masks, inbuilt night vision, super hearing, a hibernation organ, internal suntan cream, super taste, packing grease dispenser, and poison spit sacks. He has an indefatigable physique, unwavering discipline, years of dedicated training, motorized body armor that can shrug off a 50 cal round, a gun that fires 0.75 cal self-propelled exploding ammunition that can also be acid, fire, or fragmentary, with an effective range of about one kilometer. Ah, some knives and grenades, and maybe a pistol that also fires 0.75 cal. He could also have a motorized chainsaw and pistol combo, but we'll give him a bolt rifle in this instance. This nigh-unstoppable instrument of the Emperor's wrath is clearly ready to fight, but how does such a big boy fit in the battlefield of the 42nd millennium, and how would he fit facing our marines today on the beach? The Adeptus Astartes, the god-emperor of mankind's avenging angels, are some of the strongest individual soldiers in all of science fiction. They are bred for war and go through tougher training than anything any normal human has ever gone through. Actually, it's they go through like years of torture because it starts when they're children. They're effectively child soldiers. As mentioned before, they're humongously tall child soldiers, gene-edited, clad in strong armor, and carry powerful futuristic weapons. Their use on the battlefield is supposed to be as a rapid strike force that achieves a singularly important objective quickly. In reality, this means that they operate as consolidated special forces that target singularly difficult objectives. The difference is that instead of 90% of their day being spent taking out enemy leadership or securing a beachhead for human soldiers, they carry out a large range of tasks of varying importance. For example, they may be deployed to seize a single spaceship or carry out recon of an enemy planet, and sometimes they just even build forts and they're very good at that. The overall takeaway is that although they may be very few in number, they are kitted out to fulfill more specialist roles than any other human soldier throughout history. Each Astartes is a Navy SEAL, a combat engineer, an artilleryman, a tank commander, a sniper, etc. etc. Because of this broad training, there is no one tactical purpose. Instead, they are designed to be the best at whatever the situation dictates. They are incredibly fast, accurate and tough with a good tactical brain and that will carry them through most conflict situations. And these are the skills that they will use most often in their day-to-day soldiering. And their most common tactic is indeed to close quickly with the enemy and cause them to either rout or die with overwhelming firepower and ferocity. They are your typical stormtroopers on steroids. Although they have been known to deploy in scout, stealth and fire support roles, the generic space marine is definitely going to run and gun. Sure, give him a super futuristic sniper rifle that outranges anything the marines have or a camo cloak on a giant mortar he can shoulder fire and he'll win easily. But to a battle brother of the Adeptus Astartes, a couple of squads of baseline human heretics is not deserving of any special tactical thought. You could also argue that if Marine Command knew what an Astartes was, they'd equip each jarhead with a javelin and a 40mm automatic grenade launcher. 
generic weapons seem to best fit our purposes here. When the Space Marine deploys, he will immediately see targeting runes within his heads-up display. This will assign threat levels to each of the human soldiers that he's facing. He's going to take out the most dangerous ones first and cut down the fleeing remainder, as he's done probably a thousand times before. Now, does he know who the leader is? Unlikely. But anybody with a rocket launcher or a cogitator, aka a tablet, seems like a solid target. Even though he starts running, he can still easily kill any one of those soldiers at that range. The only thing that might cause an issue is that the Astartes will present a clearer target when becoming more still and aiming. But this is probably no more than a millisecond advantage. Zigzagging and taking precisely timed shots seems like the most solid path, especially if the Marines will fire at where he was rather than where he will be. This will cost both sides time and firing opportunities, but it's probably the best way for the Astartes to effectively close the gap and get into hand-to-hand combat. And being full of hate and superhuman endurance, he'll have no lack of confidence in making the enemy's battle line. He may just course if he starts taking big wounds, running more, shooting less, but the plan is still the same. Kill some from over here, and kill the rest from over there. So it's shoot a lot versus shoot a little. Aim to close into close combat versus absolutely do not close into close combat. An interesting fight and something I'm sure at least half the people listening to this podcast will disagree with the outcome of. When the Astartes teleports into the waist-high surf of our battle beach, he's going to face what he sees as organized heretics. They appear to have some sort of flak armor, good discipline. Maybe their weaponry looks a bit primitive, but there are no jabbering cultists. Immediately the sensors in his helmet are going to highlight the various types of weapons and attempt to marry them to what he has seen before. Auto guns, some frag grenade launchers, a missile launcher, and a servo skull without the skull. It also appears that there's a very small version of a mortar or some sort of box set a bit back from the main formation, beeping and making noises. Within 30 seconds, the Astartes has identified the biggest risk, the grenades, and is already moving at pace towards the heretics. He lets off four successive bolt rounds that all hit their mark and turns four marines into pink mist, the grenadiers and the missile launcher. He easily dodges out of the way of some incoming grenades, being far outside their optimal range. But the missile, to his surprise, explodes above him instead of at him and sends a cloud of shrapnel hurtling towards the ground. Ducking beneath his pauldrons, he weathers 90% of these fragments, but a few manage to pierce the seals in his armour, shredding his flesh and forcing his blood to autoclot to stem the bleeding. He is then hit with a massed volley of autogun fire, the bullets pinging harmlessly off his thick ceramite plates. One round manages to hit his left ocular sensor at an angle and crack the lens, exposing his hate-filled eye to the world. But he's close now. Within one minute, he will be amongst those that have turned their backs on the Emperor's divine light. He can hear their screaming and sense their fear now. That is always the way with Chaos worshippers. Once they see the consequences of heresy firsthand, they lose their mettle. 
Their fire is less accurate now, and they are having to reload. He's within 30 seconds of his targets, and he's already dropped 6 more. However, not everything is going his way. 5 more wounds have made their sting felt, and his body is now releasing healing chemicals and combat stimulants, but they seem to be not having the effect they should. By the time he reaches them, there's no escape. And there's no mercy. Lashing out with his combat knife and gauntleted hands, he bisects an enemy while punching straight through the chest of another. The blade of his knife catches in the plate armour of the heretic, refusing to shake free, and he temporarily discards it. He grabs what he assumes to be the leader of this cult, the Magos operating the servo skull with a bionic eye. It is time to die, heretic, he growls through his vox. Before he begins to squeeze the life out of the human, the man spits in his face and rolls his eyes towards the heaven. The last thing the Astartes hears, before the twenty-pound warhead detonates above his head, crunching his helmet and propelling liquid metal into his brain at thousands of feet per second, is a wheezing curse from the heretic marine, and it sounded like High Gothic, the language of the Imperium. The heroic defender of humanity dies with the phrase Semper Fidelis ringing in his ears. Okay, so down to brass tacks. How many does it take to bring that outcome about? Well, I guess it's clear that it might be a tad unfair to the Astartes in this fight. They're designed to shock and awe troops, carry out decapitation strikes and capture the planet. They generally just don't stand on a field or on a beach with some random soldiers and have a slugfest. At the same time though, Marines just don't go to war in groups of 15. In a fight between the USMC and a a full chapter of an Adeptus Astartes, the USMC would outnumber them 170 to 1 in terms of combat-ready soldiers. So that would mean one squad of Astartes would slug it out with an entire Marine battalion. If both groups were allowed to play to their strengths, the USMC would win relatively easily. The key difference is that the USMC are not meant to be a one-man army or small number special forces. Comparatively primitive though it may be, the sheer volume of marine firepower, as well as their embrace of technology, something that the Astartes do do, do, but not effectively. Two squads of marines would be able to stand tall against one Primaris intercessor in a stand-up fight. Three squads of marines would absolutely, without any shadow of a doubt, defeat a Primaris Intercessor, and Adeptus Astartes. Now, if you drop the Primaris in the middle of them with his chainsword, that number probably doubles again. Overall though, even in advantageous environments, it's still going to take at least two squads of Marines, and the Marines are likely going to win at any number above two squads. In the modern sense though, is thousands of rounds of 5.56 ammo Two to four rockets and a dozen or so grenades enough to kill a superhuman soldier? Well, of course it is. You can kill somebody with a wet fish if you hit them thousands of times in the right place. But okay, just to be fair, it is the combined weapons nature of the squad which would scale upward against any number of Astartes and ensure a fighting chance. Assuming, you know, we're not in space, with space weapons, where us humans would straight up lose, the USMC could probably take on two to three chapters of Space Marines, if not more. They have a hundred F-35s, 
I mean, even if you lost 95% of them in the first bombing run, they'd still kill hundreds of Astartes or take out some of their transports. And just for an apples-to-apples comparison, to make things abundantly fair, the USMC's Special Forces Marsoc could probably take out an entire company of Astartes in a tip-of-the-spear versus tip-of-the-spear slugfest. And I do want to state at the end of this section that I'm not paid by the USMC, nor am I an anti-Imperium heretic. It's just what happens when you try to make superheroes in science fiction instead of demigods or invincible aliens. And of course, when you lay out the facts on the table, this looks like an unfair fight to begin with. Sheer attrition would down any single warrior, 100 duck-sized horses, etc. But the lore of the Adeptus Astartes has their mm, performing the most spectacular feats of heroism. They are the Gary Sues of the 40k universe, the primary marketing tool. They 1v1 demons and conquer planets in raiding parties of a dozen. And this is the issue with our sci-fi hero stories. Without magical powers, a single individual is still just that, one dude out of billions or trillions. You can be clad in the best armour with great weapons and be an eight foot tall religious fundamentalist, but the armour of contempt isn't going to save you from thousands of projectiles aimed right at you. Hero stories are great, they inspire, and they also are the only route to mainstream content creation. If you like sci-fi and fantasy, mass market appeal is a route to funding more complex stories. And it's also cool and entertaining, there's no snobbery intended here. People like to see heroes, always have, always will. So really it's just a general problem without any specific franchise. You know, when James Bond is the face, you forget that four Jason Burns would easily beat him to death with their bare hands, and you know, ten competent soldiers would probably kill either of them. You may be the baddest Navy SEAL in history, you might be super space goggins, but nobody's better than a 155mm artillery piece. For 40k specifically, this only really presents as another scale gap. The Astartes are too few to be galactically significant. The Tyranids and the Orcs too numerous to not have already won ultimate victory. The Necrons too powerful, the forces of chaos too destructive, etc etc. You take that away from any of them though and they become less fun. Can this universe be humanised while retaining these super beings? Probably, but significant and boring lore changes would, would be needed. And at the end of the day it shows us two things. The US Marines are hard mothers, and that our hero stories overstate the impact of the main characters. Uh, except Order 66, which played out pretty damn accurately for how easily those Jedi scum would have been taken out. At the end of the day, there is scope for true heroism and very interesting content to be created focusing on baseline humans. But we also have to balance that with the fact that 8 foot tall, flaming sword wheeling demigods are really cool. So do you think there's a better infantry formation than the US Marines that could take on an Astartes with more ease? You can let us know on Twitter at GDBS. and Please take a minute to subscribe and rate our podcast as this really helps. Now we'll be back in a fortnight with our episode on Jabba the Hutt, so remember to keep your marines jar-headed and your hobbies dumb, because that's what they're both there for. <laughs>